0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, "'Do not be afraid, "'for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. "'He is not here, for he has risen.' And he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up to him. They took his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me.
1: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. What a joy it is to gather as your people. What a glory it is to declare that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. I thank you that you know every single person here by name, that you love them, care for them, pursue them. Lord, by your spirit, would you move in great power and mercy, enlarge our hearts, unveil our eyes to see the good news that we celebrate this day. We pray this for our good. We pray this for the good of our nation. And we pray this for the glory of your glorious name. And we pray in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said with one ridiculously loud Easter Sunday amen. 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 City on a hill, you may take a seat as you do. Let's put our hands together. Thank the team, the band, Dave, for leading us so well. On Good Friday, we gathered to remember that Jesus Christ. God's Son, went to the cross to die for us. That was Friday, but today is Sunday. And today we remember that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. How many of you know that is good news? It's good news of great joy. A special welcome if you're visiting friends and family. It's so great that you're here. Uh, Greetings to everyone who's joining us at City on a Hill headquarters and everyone who is tuning in near and far. Wherever you are, we love you. So thankful we can be together and celebrate Easter. Why don't we thank the Lord for everyone joining us today. So I want to begin with a question. Do you remember the very first time you heard that the earth is round. Perhaps you are told by your mom or an older brother or a grandma, but somewhere along the line in your early years of life, someone pointed out to you that the earth is not like a flat screen TV. It's more like a basketball that spins in the air. And at first it was hard to take in because the earth, well, it doesn't seem to look round and it certainly feels uh, flat but your parents told you and so you believed them. And then you went to school and somewhere after PE and before recess, you had science class and presumably your science teacher put up this image. And the class went, ooh. And you went, there you go. You saw it with your own eyes. Uh, And it was something I assumed that we all believed was true. That was until a few years ago, when I discovered that the theory that the earth is round is actually one huge conspiracy. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to the Flat Earth Society. Founded in 1956, the Flat Earth Society, or TFEs for short, says, <clears throat> The Flat Earth Society mans the guns against oppression of thought and the globalist lies of a new age. Standing with reason, we offer a home to those wayward thinkers that march bravely on with reason and truth in recognizing the true shape of the earth, flat. Now, if you follow these guys on Twitter, you'll know they're more entertaining than Elon Musk. Stacey McStationary says this, Dear friends, you believed in the globe because you saw its image as an infant. You learned its mechanics in elementary, middle, and high school. As an adult, you're reminded of it daily by NASA and their allies in Hollywood, media, and government. But reality equals hashtag flat earth. Another flat earther says this. Globe Earth is such a boring and out-of-date concept. No one of any seriousness believes it anymore. And then my favorite from uh, Cosmic Blondie, she says... I didn't see no curve from my flight. At what point does it start magically curving again? (laughs) Hashtag flat earth. Now, if you're thinking that the shape of the earth is the only thing we've been deceived about, think again. The flat earth society has been branching out of late. Uh, Here's one you'll find interesting. Most of you have been brought up believing in the imaginary land called Australia. <laughs> I bet many of you learned about it in school. Well, I'm here to tell you the truth. The fact is that Australia doesn't really exist. Everything you've ever heard about it was made up and any pictures of it you've seen been faked by the government. They go on to say, "Your Australian friends, they're all actors. <laughs> Computer generated personas, part of the plot to trick the world. If you think you've been to Australia, you're terribly wrong. The plane pilots are all in on this and have only flown you to islands close nearby or in some cases parts of South America where they have cleared space and hired actors to act out as real fair dinkum Aussies. Australia is one of the biggest hoaxes ever created and you've all been tricked. I can't help but think if they watch one episode of Home and Away they would know Australians aren't that great at acting. (laughs) As entertaining as this is, and it is entertaining, it made me realise that those of us who are living in Australia who know the truth about life down under have a lot in common with the early church and the resurrection of Jesus. You see, throughout the early church, the message of Jesus' resurrection was central to their life, their faith, their mission, and their message. And yet, it was met with skepticism and doubt. Many questioned Jesus and denied the claim over the grave. Like the flat earthers today and the Australian deniers, People were convinced that Jesus was nothing more than a hoax, a well fabricated lie. Here's a thought What if Jesus truly did exist? What if those who testified about Jesus weren't paid actors? And what if Jesus' resurrection isn't a giant hoax, but is more just as real as Vegemite, Hugh Jackman, and this land we love down under? Today, we are going to get up close and personal with Jesus and the glory of His resurrection. And my hope today is that we would see that it's not just true news, but it is good news of great joy. The resurrection of Jesus is not just true news, it is good news of great joy. So I have three observations. If you've got a Bible, love you to come with me to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can follow with me on the screen. I have good news. First, Easter is good news for the skeptic. It's good news for the skeptic. So Matthew He is not here, for he has risen. So here we find Mary Magdalene and another Mary, most likely Jesus' aunt, and they've come to show their respects and to grieve the loss of their friend. And yet, upon arriving at the tomb, Mary discovers things are not as they expect. Mary sees an angel, bright like lightning. Uh, The ground shakes and she can feel this underfoot. But even more spectacular, she walks into the tomb and upon entering into the tomb, what does she discover? She discovers that the tomb itself is empty and that Jesus is no longer there. And of course, the, the, the plot thickens for us when Matthew switches scenes and gives us behind the curtains look of what else was happening at this time. He explains that when the chief priests discovered that the tomb was empty, they gathered the rulers together. And this is what he says. They gave sufficient sums of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Right, so this is interesting, isn't it? Matthew is acknowledging that at the time of Jesus' resurrection, there was a common conspiracy that his body hadn't been raised, but was in fact stolen. And in many ways, that would be the natural and most plausible explanation if I go to the garage on a Sunday morning, open it up and see that my bike is no longer there, I don't say, praise the Lord, my bike has been raised in glory. No, I call the cops and say, my bike's been stolen. That's the most natural and plausible explanation. So maybe that's what's happened. But of course, you do realize what this is telling you and me. It tells us, that the tomb of Jesus was most certainly empty. If it was not empty, then Rome and the chief priests had the perfect way to stop the growth of the early church. They had the perfect evidence to silence this message of Jesus' resurrection. All they needed to do was go to the tomb and pull out and hold up the body of Jesus. But they didn't and they couldn't. Why? because the tomb is empty now does this prove the resurrection no but it should give you cause to think another piece of evidence to consider here is the testimony of Mary herself in all four Gospels it's women we find at the empty tomb who testify first to the resurrection why is that important We may not realise, but in the ancient world, we're living in a time of history where a woman's testimony wasn't considered valid in a court of law. Which begs the question, why would Matthew, a devout Jew, schooled in the law of his day, put Mary at the scene? There's no way the early church would have said women were the first witnesses unless women were the first witnesses. There's no other explanation. And in fact, if you look through the New Testament, we're told that Jesus not only appeared to women, but went on to appear to hundreds of other eyewitnesses, men, women, individuals, couples, crowds, all claiming that they saw him at different times in different places. They heard him speak. They ate with him. They reached out and touched him, many of which were still alive at the time the New Testament was written. You say, well, perhaps these witnesses were all in this together on this elaborate hoax. Maybe they knew Jesus was dead, but decided to make up the story. And that's possible. But once more, we need to consider here the the motive, because motive leads to action. Uh, There's a former homicide detective named James Warner who explains that when it comes to murder, There are generally only three reasons to explain the homicide. One, financial greed. Two, sexual lust or relational desire. Or thirdly, the pursuit of power. And so when assessing a crime, he asks, who would benefit from the perspective of money, sex or power? And it's his experience as a homicide detective that gives him cause to believe the testimony of the early church. Because in considering their motive, he points out, no one got rich. There are no relationships or, of lust or love involved. And thirdly, no one got powerful. In fact, the message of Jesus' resurrection cost them their jobs. In some cases, cost them their families. Some were thrown to lions. Some were sawn in two. And in all this, no one, not once, came clean and said, enough, enough of this lie. No, men and women of the early church, different ages, different backgrounds, continued to serve, continued to pray, continued to love, continued to preach boldly this good news that Jesus is alive. Does that prove Jesus was raised? No, but it should cause you to think. It should invite you to explore. Lee Strobel was a leading reporter at the Chicago Tribune and a graduate of Yale Law School. Uh, And he published The Case for Christ. If you're keen on exploring this further, I commend that book to you. Uh, Strobel was himself a confirmed atheist, a rational man who had decided this couldn't be true but one day his wife went to church and she heard the good news of the gospel and her life changed and it was evident to him and so he felt compelled to refute the claims of Christ speaking of the day when his wife decided to follow Jesus he says it was the worst news I could get as an atheist my agnostic wife had decided to become a Christian Two words shot through my mind. The first was an expletive, the second was divorce. I thought she was going to turn into a self-righteous holy roller. But over the following months, I was intrigued by the positive changes in her character and values. Finally, I decided to take my journalism and legal training and systematically investigate whether there was any credibility to Christianity. And what follows is two years of exploration into the specific claim of Jesus' resurrection. He looked at the biblical evidence. He looked at the historical evidence. And what was his conclusion? He says this, "'In the end, after I'd thoroughly investigated the matter, "'I reached an unexpected conclusion. "'It would actually take more faith to maintain my atheism "'than to become a follower of Jesus.'" Easter is good news for sceptics. But you know what else? Easter is good news for the scandalous. So upon seeing the empty tomb, we're told that the two Marys are directed to Galilee. Matthew says, They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Here is Mary running from the empty tomb. Like many of us, uh, she's been searching for meaning and significance. And for a few short years, she she discovered that in Jesus. Jesus was, was one who saw her, who understood her, who comforted her, who healed her. Jesus had established her identity and secured her in love. And when she looked upon the the cross of Christ, she saw her love tortured, stripped naked, tormented. And in that moment, whatever hope she had in herself and in God shattered into a million pieces. And yet upon seeing the empty tomb, as she runs on this road, there's a sense in which she's starting to put those pieces back together again. Maybe there is hope maybe there is good news maybe and as these thoughts are circling in her mind and in her heart Jesus appears on the road and he says Matthew says behold Jesus met them and said greetings or our Aussie Bibles might say g'day Jesus greets her why does Jesus appear to Mary first Why not go to the religious leaders or some of the governing officials? Why not appear first to those in power? This question becomes even more significant when you consider that Mary is no ordinary woman. Mary has a story. Mary has a past. She's a follower of Jesus, but not the religious type that we might expect. In fact, the first time that we meet Mary she's been delivered of seven demons she's walked a difficult path she's endured a troubled life no doubt she was marred spiritually emotionally physically in the ancient world a woman like Mary was easily overlooked a woman like Mary would be deemed damaged goods In fact, in the eyes of the religious of her day, she would have been called cursed by God. This is a woman you keep at arm's length. And yet here she is on the road with and before Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? Is Jesus disappointed in her? Is Jesus looking down on her? No, Jesus loves her. The same Mary who was last in the eyes of the world is chosen to be first in the eyes of God. Do you see what this means? Do you see the significance of Easter? Jesus is shattering Everything that religion has told you about God. He is shattering that. I was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, and um, the first day I was there, uh, I thought I'd explore the city, but it was freezing cold, literally zero degrees, and most of the shops were shut. But I happened to stumble into a cafe and get a warm cup of coffee and I sat down at this uh, communal table and a few minutes later a woman comes and sits on the opposite side of the table and her name is Deanna and she explains to me that she's in town for business, she works as an executive uh, in Pennsylvania, Uh, she asks what I do, I explain that I'm a church pastor, immediately the room got colder again. And we got into this conversation about life and faith and spirituality. And she says she doesn't go to church and she struggles to believe in God. And I say, why? She says, well, I was raised going to a Catholic school. And at this school, I began to see that the teachers, the religious teachers, those who said they believed in God, had no joy and were harsh And they were oppressive. It was just one rule after another rule. It was just condemnation after condemnation. I said, do you think it was as if guilt was the driving motivation? She says, yes, that's exactly what it is. And we sat there and we talked this through. And I was so eager to talk with her about Jesus Because to me, this religion of the world that is marked by condemnation and and rules is just so at odds with the Jesus we encounter in the Scriptures. The Bible says to us that Jesus did not come to condemn this world, but what? To save the world. Jesus came to save the world. And I must tell you that this is not only a challenge for the religious, but the irreligious as well. How many of you, by show of hands, have seen the TV series, The Good Place? All right, quite a few hands. It's about a God-like man named Michael, played by Ted Danson. And he's confused, isn't he, by the fact that for centuries, no one on earth has accumulated enough good points to avoid eternal anguish in the bad place. And he says this in one of the episodes. He says, Life is now so complicated. It's impossible for anyone to be good enough for the good place. These days, just buying a tomato at a grocery store means that you are unwittingly supporting toxic pesticides, exploiting labor, Contributing to global warming. Humans think they are making one choice, but they're actually making dozens of choices. They don't know what they are making. Do you hear what he's saying? You and I are racking up guilt. Whether we're talking about the demands of the environment and climate change, whether we're talking about systemic racism and the peril of power, whether we're talking about the needs of the poor and the oppressed, there is infinite need and infinite responsibility. And despite the infinite ways that you and I should be responding, you soon realize, don't you, if you're honest, that you don't do enough. Not only do we do the wrong thing, we fail to do the right thing. And so in the end, it really doesn't matter if you were raised religious or irreligious, we all fall short of the good place. And what do you do with that? Where will you go when you fail to live up to the ideals of this world? Where will you go when you fall short of what you know is required of you? You go to Jesus. You go to the one they called the friend of sinners. You go to the one who welcomed Mary. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what spiritual junk is in your drawer. It doesn't matter about the train wreck that is in your rear view mirror. Jesus loves you. That's what Easter is all about. God loves you. He sent Jesus for you. Jesus died for you, taking on all of our guilt, taking on all of our shame. And he buried it in the ground. He defeated our sin. And the victory was accomplished in his resurrection. Have you... Like me, fallen short? Have you, like me, made some really bad decisions in your life? Have you, like me, found yourself shamed and shut out? In Jesus, the unacceptable are accepted, the dishonorable are honored, the overlooked are welcomed, and the unloved are adored the resurrection of Jesus heralds good news, good news for the skeptic, good news for the scandalous. Finally, the resurrection is good news for the searching. Do you notice what Mary did in the moment she saw Jesus? Matthew says, And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Right? It's one thing to high-five a good mate or wrap your arms around a friend as they come through the turnstiles at the arrival gate. But here is Mary falling to the ground, holding onto the feet of Jesus and worshipping him. In fact, the word that Matthew uses to describe worship suggests she is literally kissing his feet and praising him as God. And this is perhaps more significant than we realize. Early in the Gospel of Matthew, we're told of this time that Jesus is walking in the wilderness and he's tested and tempted by the evil one. The devil appears to him, trying to lure him away. And he he promises Jesus all his money and power he could want if only Jesus would bow down and worship him. And you know what Jesus said? Matthew 4, he says, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Jesus is quoting the Bible here and upholding a long-standing truth that we were made for one God, and that we should only ever worship Him. And yet here on the road of resurrection, what does Jesus do? He welcomes Mary's worship. Now, I've spoken to a lot of Aussies who like the sound of Jesus, but will often reduce him to being nothing more than a good teacher, something of a life coach to help you in difficult seasons. He's a good bloke. And of course, Jesus' teaching is life-changing, but you need to know that he claims so much more. He receives Mary's worship And he calls for your worship. Why? Because this Jesus is not just a good man or a godly man. He is the great God man. C.S. Lewis sums this up so very well. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You... Must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Did Mary shut Jesus up for a fool or spit at him as a demon? No. She falls at his feet, worshipping him as her Lord and God as our Lord and as our God. And if that is true, and I'm convinced it is, there are massive implications for you and for our world right now. Huge implications. Consider for a moment what the resurrection of Jesus says to us about evil. Consider for a moment what it says to us about the darkness and death that we see in this world. I took my eldest son, Zach, to see uh, The Batman recently. By show of hands, anyone else seen it? A lot of hands. Throwback to Nirvana was worth the price of admission alone. But it was dark, like really dark, so dark that at one point in the movie, one of us had to close our eyes and cover our face. I don't want to embarrass anyone but let's just say it was nice that Zach reached out his hand and said, it's going to be okay, Dad. Have you seen this meme? It's bang on, isn't it? Because I grew up and Batman was colourful. The fight scenes were a little bit comical. Even the villains were cartoonish, weren't they? And yet over the years, we've come to realize that evil is no joke. It's real. There's there's evil in this world. It's why you lock your doors at night. Evil is real. It's a real virus that robbed us of years of our life and stole millions of lives. There's a real war going on right now. A war marked by violence and destruction, slaying thousands of women and men and children. There's real corruption and compromise in our nation. Compromise and corruption in the financial sector and the political sphere. Compromise and corruption in the sporting and media industry. Compromise and corruption in the church. And this darkness is not only out there, it's in here. We're always walking through shadows, hurt by family, divorce and community violence. We're struck down by breakdowns in friendship and hardships in the home. We're overshadowed by betrayal, saddened by our own aloneness. And we're cut to the core by our own insecurities and fear. Life is not as it should be. Our world is not as it should be. And yet despite the darkness of this hour, here in Matthew we see light breaking through. Even the darkest night shall end and the sun shall rise. Light breaks through. It comes over the horizon. It spills up over the hills. Jesus is breaking through with his light, his warmth, his color. He's telling you that evil will have its day. Just this week, I read a moving article in the New York Times, an interview with uh, Tim Keller. Tim is one of the leading voices in the Christian faith, one of my living heroes. In fact, when I first started this church, It was his book next to the Bible that served as something of the guiding light. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Tim. And as some of you may know, right now, he's enduring through stage four pancreatic cancer. And in this interview, he shares with that authentic lament and grief over the end of life. And death, which comes like a thief. And yet in Jesus, he's not without hope. He says, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, then ultimately God is going to put everything right. Suffering is going to go away. Evil is going to go away. Death is going to go away. Aging is going to go away. Pancreatic cancer is going to go away. Now, if the resurrection of Christ did not happen, then I guess all bets are off. But if it actually happened then there's all the hope in the world. This is the hope we have at Easter. And I want you to know that this is not only a hope waiting for us on the other side. There is a hope that we can take hold of right now, a living hope, a hope that changes us, a hope that inspires us a hope that calls us to live for something far greater than this world. Yesterday at Middle Park Beach, such a special, special day. We entered the waters of baptism with Elizabeth, Donna, Esther, Jody, Josh, Annika, and Eva. Can we put our hands together? It was a really special, special day. I'll just share this one little extra moment um, at the end of the the baptism, so so we're there, right? And we're singing and we're rejoicing and there's hundreds of people and there's people in a cafe hearing about Jesus with their eggs, Benedict, and they're all there. And this guy comes up to me at the end of the baptisms. His name is Frank. And he'd seen, you know, there was actually this sky riding cross in the air and he looked up at that and then he heard us rejoicing and he saw our baptism and he said, I wonder if that's City on a hill. And I hadn't seen Frank in many years, but some of you may not realize Frank was the very first person to be baptized at this church 15 years ago. Now he moved out to the Burbs with his family and he was coming up to tell me how much God was at work in his life and his family. And I was rejoicing in God over that and just rejoicing over the hundreds of people between him and now who've been rescued by Jesus, changed by Jesus, And Lord willing, hundreds, thousands more who are giving their life to Jesus, who are saying, I've had enough with this world. I've had enough with my sin. I've had enough of living in guilt. I want to be part of something significant. I want to be an agent for justice in this world. I want to stand secure in hope. I want to offer love. I want to put my sin to death and say no to evil and darkness. I want to stand in light. This is what Jesus calls us to. This is what these men and women when they come out of the waters of baptism they're celebrating a new life where they will now go out to live for him. And if you're in Christ today, let me encourage you, let me challenge you, let me call you away from the sidelines of your life and get involved. Stop living with two uh, a foot in both camps. Put sin to death and this Easter resolve to live wholeheartedly for God. He wants, longs for an undivided heart. If you're in Jesus, put sin to death, follow him, seek him and indeed serve him. Right, this has been a massive year for us at City on a Hill and we're so thankful. We're, we're seeing so many people come back and so many new people and things are moving. We're passionate about that. We'd love you to be part of that. Don't sit on the sidelines. Join us in prayer. Join us in mission. Serve. Be part of what God is doing. Knowing that you get to be part of seeing lives change for eternity. What is that going to look like for you? How will you respond to this good news you can't sit on your hands you got to get involved you got to serve you got to pray you got to give you got to declare I mean for some of us in this room wouldn't it be amazing if everybody in this room today went out like Mary sharing this good news calling up a friend a neighbor and said hey I just got to tell you something I want you to know a bit more about my story I want to know your story and I want to just have an opportunity just once maybe just to tell you a little bit about Jesus. Imagine if we took that seriously. Imagine if we truly believe that Jesus is alive. Imagine if we knew our hope in him is secure. This is who we are as the people of God. We're made to stand tall as a city on a hill, shining his light, standing for his justice, his truth, his mercy and his hope. And if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, I want you to know that Jesus is in our midst. His spirit is moving. It's no accident that you're here. And He's giving you an opportunity right now to receive His life, His love, and His hope. It's good news for all people. Doesn't matter what's in your past doesn't matter how you were raised or what school you went to. doesn't matter what your parents believe or this is between you and Jesus. And right now you have an opportunity like Mary to cling to his feet and worship him. Notice the intimacy, the personal call. We're not to know God from a distance. We're to come to him personally. He's inviting us to know him. He's inviting himself to enter into your life and lead you to give you the truth about what really matters, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. He wants to lead you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to rejoice with you and for you. He wants to be with you. That's the good news of Easter. And so one of the great ways that we can respond to this good news is in prayer. And I would love an opportunity as the band comes up to pray specifically with those who want to say yes to Jesus. Uh, you might be joining us online, and this is a message for you as well. It doesn't matter where you are right now. <laughs> Jesus is calling you to put your trust in Him. And I've penned a little prayer that I want us to say in our hearts and in our minds. And if you want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, I'd love you to say this prayer with me. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus that I might be forgiven. Thank you for his freedom and the future I have with him. I turn from living for myself and I put my trust in Jesus. Thank you for his life, death and resurrection. Thank you that I now have life in him. Please send your spirit to help me follow you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. While all our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I'd like to encourage those who prayed this prayer just to lift their hands so I can pray a special prayer over you guys right now and see that, amen. And if you're online, maybe you could just write yes in the comments. I'd love to pray for you as well. Father, I thank you for these men and women who are responding to the good news of Jesus. Thank you that he loves them. And thank you that by faith we can stand secure in his love. We rejoice in you for the hope that is ours. Protect these men and women as they seek to stand for you. Give them courage and perseverance. And by your spirit, may they be fashioned more and more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said...